Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of birds has come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. Throws across his body, and he got him! Looking away, McKenna around third, throw from the outfield is up the line, inside the park home run! He gone! Up and he makes a catch up against the wall. And he's going to watch it fly. Strike three called. He got him on strikes. Welcome to the Voice of the Turtle, a podcast feature of the Bless You Boys website. We are SB Nation's Detroit Tigers blog, and you can find us online at blessyouboys.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Bless You Boys and on Facebook at facebook.com slash byb.tigers. I'm your host, Hook Slide, along with my co-host, Rob Rojacki. And Rob, this is it. This is our final show of 2015. Do we have what it takes to walk it off in the bottom of the ninth? Uh, I think so. I mean, I think we're better equipped than Josh Wilson with the bases loaded. So, hey, let's talk about that a little bit more and then slit our wrists later <laughs> or not. I had a question. Are you an eggnog drinker? No. Really? Nope. That sounded like a very strong reaction. Kind I don't of like think it tastes good. Strong opinion. It's not just yeah. like one of those middling things. Like, Although I haven't tried it like with alcohol in it. Dude. So. Seriously? No, I haven't. Did you turn 21 last week or something? No, I just get a beer. Well, <laughs> don't put a beer in the eggnog. That's, no, yeah, I, actually, I'm not mixing them together. No, I did make that mistake once. Don't don't ever do that. Rum is the way to go. Um, but yeah, definitely try that. So yeah, uh, this is it. We're 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 gonna take a break for the next couple of weeks and let people kind of get back to their, uh, you know, holiday whatnots and so forth, and uh, take a break ourselves. It'll be you good. know what this means, right? What's that? Is that as soon as we take a break, they're going to no. sign Alex no. Gordon? You want a suspect? No, no, don't do that. I I need this break. I do. Although, I mean, it, I, if they do that, I'd, I'd you know yeah. pick up the phone and call. Yeah, that's that's I fine. I, I will record a podcast happily if it means we're talking about Alex Gordon in in an old English D. That'd be okay. Otherwise. No, we, we I think we learned kind of a lesson uh, over the Thanksgiving holiday and pushed through and did a podcast with two things. One is really hard to fit recording time into a holiday schedule, which I think means less preparation. It's not quite as good of a show, potentially, if you do it that way. And number two, nobody listens during the holidays, which you shouldn't. You have things to do. If you're listening to two chuckleheads like us talk about baseball during the Christmas week, no, go do something. Get a stack of Christmas videos and your favorite Christmas beverage. You know, go go caroling or something, but don't don't listen to this podcast. So we're doing you a service by taking that time off. Anyhow, gather round. Pour yourself that glass of eggnog. Definitely spike it with rum if you are so inclined, and we will get this show rolling. We're talking about the Tigers roster and what they need for opening day. 
Bruce Rondon is brawling in the Winter League. Johnny Cueto finally signed a contract. We'll get to our sack of listener mail and answer questions. And Tanya Bondurant of PinstripeAlley.com will come by a little bit later to talk about the Justin Wilson trade and what that looks like from a Yankee insider's view. But before that, we got to do this. Let's round the bases and talk about that bullpen. Is the nightmare over? Is the bullpen finally good? We'll talk about that after the break. 210-pound righty delivers as a fly ball left field. This one's deep. This one's got a chance, and this ball is gone to Hogan. Ian Kinsler delivers the walk-off. Number six for Ian. He rounds third, heads into the mob scene at home, and the Tigers take the series from A.C. A walk-off home run from Kinsler, eight to six. It's time for our Rounding the Bases segment. We're talking about this issue. Is the bullpen finally good? The Tigers have made some moves uh, within, what, 24 hours of our last podcast? They up and announced the trade of uh, Luis Sessa and Chad Green heading to the New York Yankees in exchange for left-handed reliever Justin Wilson. How did that strike you, Rob? I really like the move, uh, on, you know, just kind of a, at first glance. Um, <clears throat> trading Sessa was a little bit of a tough sell, I guess, but at the same time, this is a guy who was a former position player prospect. So even though he's already made it to kind of double A and even up to triple A this year, he's a little bit behind what other people or what other prospects are, uh, where they're at at this point as a pitcher, um, his off speed stuff definitely needs work. And I think a lot of people have said that, you know, even though his fastball looks pretty good, he's probably still just a reliever down the line. So you know, if you're trading him and then Chad Green, I didn't really see as, you know, much of anything. Maybe he turns into a decent bullpen arm. Um, but to get a guy like Wilson, who's going to help the team right now next year and has three years of club control remaining, I think that's a pretty good deal for the Tigers. Yeah, my my scouting report on Chad Green, having seen him pitched, uh, pitch rather uh, several games for West Michigan, the Whitecaps there in 2014. I, my, I guess my scouting report would be, uh, okay. It's about what that amounts to. I mean, he had a decent fastball that he had some pretty good control over. He could get strikes with that fastball. His his secondary stuff missed constantly, and you kind of felt like, yeah, if he's going to ever you know even crack a starting rotation, he needs to do a lot of work on those secondary pitches. And so I, I didn't feel like that was a huge loss. I'll tell you what I did think though when I heard that Sessa was going over in the deal. They're getting really close to that sort of edge of the pitchers that they don't want to let go. I mean, did that yeah, th- I think Sessa was probably like right on the borderline there. Um, I think that the guys above him, Daniel Norris, Matt Boyd, Michael Fulmer, those guys are, are definitely not going anywhere this offseason. Although, you know, with, with Sessa being traded, that's a little bit more up in the air. And I think that if the Tigers find the right deal, no one is untouchable. Uh, but, you know, given what they got in return and the kind of value that I think uh, Wilson's going to provide right away for the Tigers. I think that if they're going to trade any one of those prospects, it's going to have to be a pretty good deal for them. Yeah. I just, I maybe looked at it slightly different in that, like you said, Sessa seemed definitely very much on, on the limbo edge there of, you know, this is this, this far and no further. And so that kind of came across to me as this is probably it in terms of trading. You know, I cannot see them going any deeper into that, pool and pulling out Norris or Boyd or Fulmer I, I kind of feel like yeah that was it you, you've reached the uh the breaking point you traded Sessa probably done trading at this point 
Yeah, I mean, it probably is. I mean, their roster's, you know, almost full anyway, so I don't know how many more big moves they need to make. And if they do add another utility piece or whatnot, it may be via free agent signing. We've already seen them interested in a few different guys. Uh, so we'll see what happens. How do you feel about Wilson? Because, like, I, I am so easily swayed by the visuals. And the first thing that I did when I heard the trade is I found that stupid video on YouTube of this, like, highlight strikeout reel set to very bad faux metal music. It's just, it's strikeout pitch after strikeout pitch after strikeout pitch. Just bam, bam, bam for, like, two and a half solid minutes. And after you watch that, it's like, he's so good! This is going to be awesome! And, you know, you got to back off from that because that's that's a highlight reel. That's not what he does every single time out. But what do we know about him from, you know, the world of reality? Well, he's put up some great numbers in his career. Uh, two out of his three seasons, he's had an ERA of uh, 3.10 or lower. His career career ERA is only 3.03. Um, and that's pitching for, you know, basically three full seasons so far. He's had some great numbers. He's striking out a lot of batters, uh, especially over the last two years. He's been over a batter per inning. Uh, through a full season, so that's definitely a nice thing to see. And last year, his command improved a little bit, so he had a 3.30 strikeout to walk ratio, uh, which you, you really like to see like from a guy like Wilson uh, striking out that many batters. The thing I'm most encouraged by, going a little bit deeper into the numbers here, is that you know he throws his fastball almost 80% of the time, mm-hmm. um, so he's definitely confident in it, but he gets batters to swing and miss at it almost 15% of the time, which is a huge number for a fastball. So that fastball has plenty of life on it, and he's getting swings and misses with it, uh, which is a lot more than you can say for for some of the other guys that the Tigers have had in the past. You know, they're relying either more on breaking pitches to get batters or swing and miss, or they're you know just you know, letting you know hitters put the ball in play a little bit more. I think the Tigers finally got themselves you know a real strikeout artist here. And that fastball, oh my God, it is dead sexy. I, I mean, that that video reel that I was talking about, that thing that moves in, it's in the high nineties, and then it like freaking tails away from the arm side. You don't, you know, I don't think see that very often. Usually, if a pitcher's fastball is going to move, it's going to move, you know, I guess toward the glove side. But this his kind of, it's got that screwball action, and that's just so cool. I love it, and the and the curve that he throws, like it's got twenty eight inches of break on it. It's going to be fun to watch him pitch. You just went from, I'm not that excited, to I am super excited in about 30 seconds there. Yeah, it's Highlight reels do that for me. I, I can totally be suckered into it. just. By, this is what happens when we have like a bullpen. I know. Well, I, there, and there it is. It, because, you know, we got K-Rod and I felt good. Good. You've got somebody that can hopefully lock down, you know, the late innings, you know, not necessarily just the ninth, but if you need him to get, you know, a four or five out save, you got an option there. Uh, the getting Mark Lowe was just like, you know, really kind of strengthening that a little bit. But Justin Wilson's like the cherry on the Sunday, and you didn't even know you were missing the cherry until it's there. And it's like, oh, this is what a Sunday is supposed to look like. The bullpen looks like this. Cool. It's nice to have, you know, it's nice to see them address this big need with multiple guys for the first time in what seems like ever. Uh, getting all these guys here, you know, you add Wilson, you add Lowe, you add K-Rod to the mix. You already have Alex Wilson and Blaine Hardy, a couple guys that put up some great numbers last year, even if they don't have the stuff. Are those three guys I mentioned before? Um, and then you have a couple promising you know, arms underneath them. Drew, Verha- Drew Verhagen looked pretty good in a short sample of innings last year. You've got, you know, a number of guys who throw really hard but can't really locate it. If even one of them figures out how to, you know, 
hit the strike zone, they could be pretty good. Um, and then you have, you know, Bruce Rondone who throws a hundred miles an hour. And if they can get him sorted out, you know, that's a, a, a potential closer type arm that may be the seventh guy in the bullpen next year. Yeah. But you said the magic words or you at least alluded to them and that that's it's depth. And it's, it's that finally, for the first time, you're not relying on Drew Verhagen, Bruce Rondon, and Blaine Hardy to be your 7th, 8th inning guys. You have options now. you got three legit 7th, 8th inning types, you know, guys to fill out those three innings. Take some of the pressure off of these starters, because that's another thing that we talked about. Mike Pelfrey, I'm not sure he's going to be a guy who's going to go eight innings for you. In fact, I'm pretty sure he's not. To have that little bit of extra depth has been... It's been kind of a calling card, I think, for Al Avila in this offseason so far in that, you know, he went out and got uh, Zimmerman, Jordan Zimmerman, for the starting rotation. And you thought, good, Verlander, Zimmerman, Sanchez, yeah, you know, maybe Shane Green, maybe Daniel Norris. It could, I mean, it's not great, but it could work. No, he goes and adds Pelfrey. Now you've got depth in the starting rotation. You've got leftovers that can help. Same thing with the bullpen. He gets K-Rod. Great, you needed that. He adds Mark Lowe. Okay, cool. We're probably done, maybe. Maybe wouldn't be terribly displeased if that's well we had said last week that we were both kind of hoping for at least one more bullpen kind of hoping but at the same time i guess you know coming out of the dombrowski eras you kind of expect that it's going to be bam closer bam eighth inning guy and the rest will just sort of have to sort itself out and yet there he goes and adds you know justin wilson and now you feel like you've got the surplus of riches in the in the bullpen i'm just not used to having that that feeling of like wow there's a ton of options now yeah, it's really nice to have. Um, I think that's kind of one thing that we've noticed from Avila so far is that unlike Dave Dombrowski, he's really working to build the depth of the roster, kind of fill out the periphery of the 25-man roster and make sure that you know all 25 of those guys can be relied upon at any time. Um, you know, you've seen them. You're, we're still trying to figure out what they're doing on the position player side to fill out that 25th man there. Uh, but the bullpen, they're looking. They're not necessarily looking at guys five, guys number five, six, and seven. They're looking at guys number eight, nine, and ten for the bullpen. Um, you know, they're making sure that they have five starters and then a few guys beyond that because they know that injuries happen. They know that you know bad luck happens. Guys just don't perform well. So they want to make sure that they have, you know, as many guys as possible. And, you know, they've even mentioned using some of those starters like Shane Green and Michael Fulmer in the bullpen too. Um, so they're, you know, exploring as many options as they can to make sure that they have as many arms as possible to get through the season. You just don't get the feeling that Al Avila is ever going to say, yeah, that's good enough. Like he's always willing to continue adding pieces onto it, even when someone like me might say, well, you don't really need to keep adding more at this point. It looks pretty settled. Nope, here, have another one just in case. I guess really what I'm getting at is he's got a contingency plan, and that seems like a, a kind of a new feeling. It feels good, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's nice. It, but as we're sitting here talking about you know, the way that Alavila seems to be approaching building this out and, and being very interested in depth and, you know, adding on pieces that we may not necessarily think are necessary. Keep that in mind as we go forward into this podcast, because later we're going to talk about the, the situation as it stands in the outfield. And I, I, that those same kind of thoughts kind of influence, you know, what I, what I think about that situation, too. But we'll, we'll pick that up a little bit later. Um, just talking about the, the rest of that bullpen. Uh, I'm wondering now, because we do have Alavila on record saying things like, hey, we're, we're talking about the possibility of, of maybe converting some starters to that bullpen as well. And the names that come to mind then you know, are like Buck Farmer, Kyle Ryan, Kyle Lobstein, uh, even Shane Green, even Michael Fulmer, guys that you, I would have thought of as being pegged for, you know, these are you know starters in waiting or they're going to work with them that way. 
are you thinking maybe we'll see some of them in the bullpen? I think we'll definitely see some of them in the bullpen. I don't know necessarily know that converting them is the right word to use. I mean, maybe you take Kyle Ryan or Buck Farmer and kind of make them a full-time reliever, especially if they stick and pitch well. Um, I'm not necessarily thinking a Wade Davis type situation here, but if you, you know, you get you turn Farmer into a decent eighth inning guy who, you know, strikes out over a batter per inning or whatnot, and that's you know a pretty valuable asset to have. Um, as far as guys like Green and Fulmer go, I think that if they appear in the bullpen next year, this may be just kind of a one-off thing. Um, you know, Fulmer is going to be he's going to be a top 100 prospect next year. He, you know, it's tough to say exactly how high he'll go. He may get into that 50 60 range um just that's kind of just a wild guess but kind of based on where i see other guys fall in that spectrum you know he's a pretty good you know young pitcher who was finally able to stay healthy last year so throwing him into the bullpen may be kind of a you know one uh, get his feet wet at the big leagues a little bit as well as number two kind of limit his innings so that he's not going too high too fast um and you know there with the injury concerns there you don't want to you know throw him strictly into the deep end just yet but if he runs into you know i kind of go back to drew smiley uh in 2013 and that you know he there wasn't a spot for him in the rotation but he just pitched so well that they couldn't they couldn't keep him off of the major league roster uh, and I think Fulmer may be one of those guys that can kind of force his way into that. Um, as far as Green goes, I think that, you know, maybe they're trying to limit his innings after the injury last year. Maybe they just kind of see the rotation as set and they want another bullpen guy there. And it could be another one of those situations where he's, you know, just a little bit too good for AAA and they want to get him at the at the big league level throwing some more innings. Yeah, I could I could easily envision the scenario in which Shane Green begins the season at AAA. And uh, Daniel Norris fills out that fifth starter spot. I mean, this is all assuming that spring training goes a particular direction, which we don't know that. But uh, the thing is, I, I don't think Daniel Norris is going to pitch, you know, 33 starts and over 200 innings in 2016. I think he himself will be on some kind of a quote unquote innings limit. And so I would not be at all surprised to see him and Shane Green kind of flip flop a little bit. I mean, maybe even regularly throughout the year, maybe they'll do a little tag teaming or maybe it'll be more clear cut. You know, one pitches the first couple months and then the other takes over at the end. Yeah. I mean, with having guys like Green and Fulmer in the bullpen or, you know, even some of the other ones we mentioned, they have so many different options that they could do. You could see, you know, Green and Norris tag team starts to handle, you know, to kind of limit their innings next year. You could see Green doing something like Chris Medla did with the Braves a few years ago where he starts, you know, half the year in the bullpen and he pitches there. And then they send him down for, you know, a few weeks and he kind of uh, builds up his arm strength and his stamina and then he starts for the rest of the year. Uh, there are a lot of different ways they can go, but with, you know, the kind of the glut of arms they have up in, you know, in the upper minors and kind of at that major league level now, they can afford to experiment a little bit. Options, options, options. It's such a great thing. It's 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 like going to sit down for an authentic Italian meal where it's like seven courses, you know, and you're, you're on like second, third course going, okay, I'm full and just, oh, there's more coming. It's so cool to have it finally. You know who else eats seven course Italian meals? The Mafia. <laughs> I'm going to answer the question, Rob. I'm going to just flat out say it. The bullpen is good now. I hope so. No, just just drink the Kool-Aid. It's good. All right. I mean... It, it's a lot better than what we had last year. a lot better. 
better. I know a lot of that depends on how they actually perform next year versus what we think they're going to do and what the paper suggests they're going to do and what highlight strikeout reels you know get you all excited about. I'll say I'll say this. I I would be comfortable if this is the bullpen they went into opening day with. Absolutely. Assuming they perform the way that it looks like they can, then this is this is a good bullpen and it's something that we've needed. Pair that up with a pretty decent starting rotation, if not slightly above average starting rotation, and I think I think you've got a team. But there's more to that and we'll pick that up in the next segment as we go warming in the pen. The question is tweak that roster. Do it now or do it later? We'll give you the definitive answer after the break. Here's the two two in the fly ball, right field, deep and down the line, and gone! Victor Martinez with a two-run shot. Tigers back on top here in the seventh. They lead it seven to six. All right, we are into our warming in the pen segment. We're going to tweak that roster, but now or do it later? Rob, the question keeps coming up, and I think we the, the fan base has finally reached that point. The... Starting rotation is pretty well settled. The bullpen is looking pretty well settled. There's nothing left to talk about in the offseason except what are the Tigers going to do about that outfield situation? And there's some rumors floating around the Tigers are interested in so-and-so or maybe so-and-so. I saw uh, Sean Rodriguez's name thrown around, although it sounds like that's a no-go. Steve Pierce was another one. Okay, let's let's just settle this. How really important is it at this point to quote-unquote fix the outfield? I would rather see them do it now or at least during the off season than kind of go into the season with this and then realize, oh, whoops, we need to fix this. Um, this is kind of something we saw Dave Dabrowski do quite a bit with a bullpen. And then, you know, the trade deadline rolls around and he's overpaying for, you know, reliever X or lefty Y or, or what have you. Um, and so I would rather, you know, even if it's just adding kind of a smaller piece. You know, I was kind of lukewarm to the Sean Rodriguez idea, uh, but looking at his splits, you know, he was a decent hitter against uh, left-handed pitching and could kind of fit into that, you know, maybe a short side of a, a left, you know, a left field platoon if necessary. Even adding something like that, I think, would give them some value. Um, you know, I would rather see them go for a guy with a little bit more offensive upside, but at the same time, you know, just adding someone to the mix and not necessarily rolling with, with what they have now, I think would be better for the team in 2016. I go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and I can't decide where I want to land on this. Some days I think, no, the offense is, is really going to be just fine. And other days I think, I don't know if I want them to live on the edge just you know, quite like that. You'd rather have them be an offensive juggernaut you know, like we've come accustomed to in years past, you know, 2013, 2012, this kind of thing. Uh, I did tweet this out a couple days back when I ran – with the uh, projected lineup as I, you know, see it. And we're talking about Maven playing over Collins, you know, saying Iglesias in the lineup and Kinsler and just the, the usual, you know, starting nine. And based on their three or four year sample of uh, runs created and translating that to actual runs produced. And we're looking at uh, the every, everyday lineup, the average lineup producing about 4.1 runs per game. And at first I kind of flipped and went, yeah, that's not enough. Get more until I looked at, the list of MLB teams from last year and saw that they were right in range with, you know, at 4.1, they're within a tenth of a point of, say, the Mets, the Cardinals, the Dodgers, even the Los Angeles Angels, who didn't make the playoffs, but they missed it by what? A game? The thing is, the theme for all those teams is they had spectacular pitching. So again, it puts the highlight, the spotlight on, do the Tigers have the pitching to support 
a team that's only going to average out four runs a game. Well, I think, you know, with a lot of these questions, pretty much any question about the pitching staff kind of goes back to the top two guys in that rotation. Will Justin Verlander do what he did towards the tail end of 2015? uh, And will Anibal Sanchez stay healthy? You know, if you get if you answer both of those questions as yes, I think that this team absolutely uh, has the pitching to to make a run, uh, you know, a wild card or the division or what have you. Um, but with those question marks there, it's a little bit iffy. You know, can Jordan Zimmerman kind of get back to what he was in 2014? Uh, you'd like to think so, but it's tough to say there as well. Um, so, you know, we talked about kind of in the last segment about, you know, filling out the periphery of the roster and adding some depth. And I really, really like the depth they've built. But, you know, I think that their, you know, their studs have a few more question marks than, you know, you know, any other team's uh, top arms in their rotation. Yeah. And as far as the offense goes, we, we talked to that question about, you know, the depth and so forth. And I wouldn't be surprised then to see Al Avila go ahead and add another piece, even though it may seem like you don't really necessarily need to. I think you can get away with waiting until the trade deadline. And I'm not worried about Avila getting fleeced, you know, at the deadline because he's, you know, scrambling and having to overpay. I could easily see him doing at the deadline what he's done in the offseason, you know, where he manages to go out into shark-infested waters and hardly get nicked and still get up, you know, uh, pick up a nice piece, you know, on the way out. Um, Where was I going with all of that? I guess it comes down to, you talked about pitching studs with question marks, and I'm looking at it the same way at the offense and saying, yeah, you're also hoping that Miguel Cabrera can be 2013 Miguel Cabrera. And the fact that uh, I was just noticing today, uh, you know, in 2013, he hit more home runs than he hit in 2014 and 15 combined. And that, that hurts. You need power out of a guy like Cabrera. And uh, talk about another question mark. Can Victor Martinez actually do what he's supposed to do, even perform up to career average levels? If either of those guys, you know, slips on those points, now you got a, I think you got a problem. You definitely do. Um, but I think that's kind of one of the, one of the risks you run when you sign guys to big long-term contracts like that. Um, uh, I guess, you know, if, if the, if the two big guys in the, in the lineup falter, it doesn't really matter what they do with left field. Um, you know, maybe you add another piece, uh, you know, you get like a platoon bat for left field. Uh, if Miguel Cabrera gets injured and misses three months, I don't think it's really going to matter what they do there. They, you know, they could have Yohan Cespedes there, and I still don't know if that would be a playoff team. So um, you kind of got to hope that those guys do pan out, and that's why you're paying them a lot of money uh, is for them to produce the way that you expect. Um, but I think that, you know, you can't really, I guess, play the waiting game on that and I would rather see them do a little bit more now to fill out the roster and go into the season a little bit stronger than what they look right now right because the offense at this point is starting to feel maybe a little bit like the bullpen of years past where it does become kind of a well I hope everybody performs exactly the way they're supposed to because any deviation from the path is is a problem I don't want to go into 2016 hoping that Nick Castellanos has a breakout year because that's what's needed to push them over the top. Or you're hoping that uh, Jose Iglesias can continue to hit 300 and get on base at a ridiculous clip. That's that's dangerous. I mean, that, that then becomes the rotting floor of the house that the bullpen used to be. And you don't want to be like, yeah, if everybody has a career year, man, we got this. No, you need to probably get some help. Although, you know, like I said, I, I guess I would be okay with them heading into 2016 with this roster with the understanding that let's let's play this out for a few months and see how it goes and if it's not great 
hey, you can always fix it at the deadline. <laughs> All right. That will wrap it up for our warming in the pen segment. When we get back, we'll go into the high and tight. Bruce Rondon is a brawler. Is that okay? We'll tell you the answer when we get back. Bringing a fly ball, center field. This one's deep, going back, Borges at the warning track, looking up, and it's gone! A home run! Amazing. How about it? First chance to hit 400, and Miguel Cabrera delivers in his first at-bat of the day. All right, let's continue on then with our high and tight segment. Bruce Rondon is a brawler. Is that okay, Rob? We're talking about this little news item that came out of the... uh, is it really in the Caribbean, the Winter League, where they're uh, playing right now? Bruce Rondon doing some pitching there and uh, got himself into a little bit of a, a tussle, throwing over to first base and uh, upset Jose Osuna, it was. And uh, that turned into a little bit of a fist fight and some question marks. And it's, uh, what do you, I don't know, what do you think about all that? There's still a lot of question marks kind of around the whole situation. Uh, no one knows exactly what led to it all. Um, based on what I've read, I think Ozuna hit a home run either earlier in that game or the night before or something and probably watched it a little bit too long. Uh, and so I think Rondon, I don't know if he hit him with a pitch to put him on base or he just you know had a single or something to get on base or maybe Rondon threw inside. A little bit. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Rondon, you know, throws over to first base. I don't think it was anything malicious there. He just kind of lobbed it over, uh, you know, uh, trying to keep him a little bit close to the bag. And Ozuna seemed to take exception to that. And then it kind of turned into this huge brawl. And so what? I mean, players brawl, right? Yeah. And I think that the whole, the the big reason why everyone's so concerned about this is because of how Rondon's season ended you know being sent home for what seems like you know maturity issues or not necessarily showing up to team activities or or what have you Uh, we're still a little bit cloudy on what exactly happened with Rondon too but based on all the comments uh, you know left by both Tigers players and their general manager um, it seems like Rondon has some maturity issues to still work out Uh, and so I think a lot of people are concerned and a little bit spooked by what happened down in the Caribbean there Um, I'm not necessarily seeing these two incidents as related. Um, You know, you kind of get into the heat of the moment there, and we've seen, you know, all kinds of guys brawl throughout the years. We saw Victor Martinez get into a spat with... um, Was it Grant Balfour? Grant Balfour, but that's... Grant Balfour in the playoffs, in the playoffs, no less. Um, And so I I just don't know if you can necessarily equate the two. Uh, It's definitely possible, and I mean, I guess maybe a little bit more likely that you know, Rondon would do this given what we've heard, but still, I think that, you know, any connection there is, you know, a little more than speculation. Yeah, it seems kind of tangential. I mean, I guess you, if you have a guy who's been sent home for what they called lack of effort and you had, you know, Alex Avila saying things like he doesn't even show up, you know, if you're going to be a big part of the team, you have to at least be here, whatever that might actually mean. Doesn't really seem necessarily related to the same kind of thing as, you know, being a brawler, which... Also, I, I'm not sure that I see Bruce Rondon as a brawler. He, he does not strike me as the, say, uh, oh, who was it for the Royals? Was it Ventura who kept well, getting into? At least Rondon's brawler sized, unlike Ventura. Ventura's right? like, do you see that? <laughs> I love that picture of Ventura with Salvador Perez and Mike Trout after that incident with <laughs> Angels. Yes. And Ventura's like looking up at both of them <laughs> skyward. You know, he's a good five inches and 50 pounds lighter than both of them. But he's got what Rondon's got. He's got a 100 mile an hour fastball. So, you know, if if you want to brawl with a pitcher, you just got to keep that in mind. You got to face him later in the game and uh, that could get ugly. But I, don't, I I'm just not seeing Bruce Rondon as that guy. He's not 
the Grant Balfour. I know Victor Martinez has gotten the spat with him, but that's that's Balfour. He's such a dick and picks those kind of fights. And I just don't, I don't see Rondon doing that. This seems to me like this is what players do. They brawl once in a while. And I'm not ready to go quite so far as to say that's a sign that he does care. You know, what a gamer. Put your game face on and really give a crap. You know, I'm, now don't tie those things together. But I think it's kind of much ado about nothing. I, I just want to see him contribute at the major league level. So whatever that takes to get there. Um, he certainly didn't look like he was in the best shape of his life, though. No, but he was working on holding runners. <laughs> well, punching them anyway. Uh Go, Bruce. What I'm gonna let, let the jury just remain out on that until we see what he's doing in 2016. Elsewhere in uh, in the news, Johnny Cueto's finally signed a contract, Rob. And you know, I meant to check before the show started. You probably don't have the notes there in front of you, but I'm pretty sure I know Johnny Cueto was on my list of our free agent prediction game. I'm pretty sure the San Francisco Giants were not on my list, so I'm just about ready to declare defeat on this. I mean, it's definitely looking that way. I mean, I had a pretty big lead after the David Price thing. Like I said, man, that was my that was my strategy. Get one big one and we're good to go. But then you got uh, Iwakuma, too, on top of that. Yeah, that was luck. Yeah, I think they were all luck, but whatever. (laughs) Probably. It's probably all luck. But yeah, Cueto was not uh, he was on my list. But yeah, I had him going to like the Cubs or possibly the Dodgers. I don't I don't think I had the Giants. So I'm screwed. I'm so screwed on this. We should have we should have seen this coming. You know, it is an even year coming up. Well, then let's talk about that, because, yeah, we should have seen it coming. And yet clearly I did not because I didn't put the Giants on my list. I really didn't see that. uh, You had the Phillies on your list. I yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I just I just I, pulled this up now. Go ahead. I'm down. Kick me again. I had the Phillies. Yes, One, I did. Two, three. And the White Sox. <laughs> the White Sox. Did I really have the White Sox? You picked them to <laughs> what, make the World Series this year, too? I picked them to win the World Series in 2015. Yes, I did. Yeah. Cool. Maybe some somehow subconsciously I was hey, hoping. At least at least I missed on Jeff Samarja, too. Well, yeah. And I, yeah. Did, I did have Jeff Samarja also going to the White Sox. But what, my what, rash- what, what is it subconsciously with me that I'm like uh, predicting all these great things for the White Sox? Yeah, See, my rationale is that he pitched for the White Sox last year. Maybe they'd resign mm-hmm. him. Yeah, well, I mean, that, at least there's some rationale there. I don't know why the hell I f- thought he would go to the White Sox. <laughs> but how about them Giants in their even year magic? And the, uh, you oh, mentioned. Sorry, tangent here. You know what else I what what else I got? Jason Hayward to the Cubs. Are you kidding me? This contest is over. Screw man. <laughs> I'm not even I'm not playing with you anymore, man. It's... Anyway, getting back to uh to Cueto there, he signs with the Giants for six years and 130 million. Um about ten uh, what was it he got what was the offer from the Diamondbacks that we laughed at? It was uh one twenty in six years. Mm-hmm. So got a little bit more than we had originally anticipated. Uh I guess my question and I kinda wanna hear your take on this is what do you think of the Jordan Zimmerman signing now that we've seen what the other three big free agent starters in the market are making? I mean it made sense as soon as uh David Price and Zach Grenke started signing and as soon as we started hearing rumblings that like Jeff Samarja wanted a hundred million or more, uh right off the bat, it was like as soon as that starting uh, starting pitcher market began to you know move more quickly. He went, wow, how smart was Al Avila to jump quickly, strike first, and you know get get Zimmerman at the deal that he did? Because I think uh, Cueto is getting maybe what half a million a year less. I mean, it's not a huge 
amount. He's getting basically the same. The Tigers yeah. are playing slightly more, uh, pay, paying slightly more for Zimmerman, but they're also getting. I think I don't know. There's I I know Cueto is like you know supposed to be this pitching god, but as we've said before, I'm not sure that his arm's going to hold up this year. So that could turn out to be a real. Hmm. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, he did have that MRI in twenty in twenty fifteen, but it didn't show anything. Um, that's not necessarily you know a done deal. Sometimes you know you're not going to see everything going on there in an MRI, and um, you know he. But he really struggled down the stretch. You know, with the Royals, he had a, you know a couple moments of brilliance in the playoffs, but otherwise it was really he really kind of had some rough numbers, and I I do wonder if that. Uh, is part of the reason why he, you know, didn't necessarily get 150 million or you know close to the numbers that, you know, Price and Granky got. Um, I think with Cueto, you also have to look at the, you know, his innings load. You know, he was injured in 2013, uh, only pitched about six innings, and then he comes out and throws 243 innings in 2014 to lead the league. Uh, throws another 212 in 2015, and so that's a big jump for a guy who you know missed two thirds of the season just a couple years ago, and then he comes out and you know he has a couple uh, consecutive. 200 inning seasons um you know what kind of toll did that take on his arm especially going down the stretch here and what will that mean going forward i mean i know that in 2016 the giants are going to win the world series and and you know that nothing we do will change that resistance is futile but uh you know beyond that it's tough to say it's not it's not futile the resistance goes on, and I have this now, this just totally unhealthy desire to see the Tigers and Giants rematch now because you've got Cueto going to the Giants, and he, to me, is kind of the... Uh, he is to the Giants what Anibal Sanchez is to the Tigers. There's there's some question marks. There's some, is that arm, is that elbow, is that shoulder going to hold up? And at the same time, it's like if either of those guys is right, they're both phenomenal. And how cool would it be to see... You know, you've got Verlander, Sanchez, uh, Zimmerman stacking up against Bumgarner, Cueto, and now Samarja. I mean, I would I would pay good money to see that matchup. That'd be pretty cool. And you know what? Pablo Sandoval is not there anymore to hit random home runs off of Verlander, so I think we're good. Hold on. That hurt a little bit. Got to bounce back from that. Memory, flashbacks and such. Yeah, Pablo Sandoval is uh, doing his thing for the Red Sox now, so that's not going to be a problem. Um, yeah, but how do you like that uh, Giants rotation now? I mean, good Lord. This, this just... I'm not sure. I'm still trying to sort through what this means, you know, the, the thought processes, because it kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, Billy Bean trying to stockpile all the aces that he could uh, back in 2014, and it it didn't mean squat. I mean, they still fell apart. So just because the Giants got Cueto doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be, you know, huge favorites to, uh, you know, win the West. They've still got the Diamondbacks and Zach Greinke to solve and the Dodgers and Clayton Kershaw. But I'm happy that I'm happy they're all in the National League. Right. Exactly. But you talk about that, that arms race, you know, in the West. And it's like, hey, it's actually a little more balanced now. So that should be kind of an interesting league to keep an eye on but yeah exactly i'm so glad Cueto's not in the american league that was that was a little bit of a concern for me uh final topic here i wanted to to bring up um this uh thing we'd read in the news it was last week i think chris but you, you brought it up on the podcast last week actually this whole thing about the tiger's way coming out and we just briefly touched on it at the very end of the podcast and we're still working very hard to get our hands on a copy of this internal office memo and i think it probably won't actually hit until a little bit before spring training 
But uh, I did a little bit more digging into it and did a post on the site and uh, kind of compared what the Tigers are doing with uh, what I saw the Tampa Bay Rays doing about a decade or so ago with what the Yankees did, with what uh, even the Pirates, to some extent, found some issues with. And that is just this, uh, the problems that you run into when you don't have a uniform approach to player development at all levels, from single A all the way up to triple A and into the major leagues. And the the fact that... You know, as I did the research, Rob, the thing that stuck out to me was the, the the story of the Tampa Bay Rays and the fact that once they got that system in place and wanted to work more on that uniform development, suddenly they start cranking out guys like Evan Longoria, like David Price, like Wade Davis. Uh, it just feels to me like, man, maybe the Tigers actually have a chance of starting to develop some good talent, you know, in from the draft all the way through. Well, I think the the Rays are also a good example of what having very high draft picks does for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, David Price was number o- number one overall pick. Evan Longoria was a very high pick uh, himself, and they had a couple other you know very high first round picks that really kind of panned out for them. Um, but it also goes to show that you know with the Tigers losing a couple first round picks, I think in you know 2011, 2012, when they had signed some big name free agents, um, you know what that does to your farm system. You know if you miss on a top pick or if you're not picking at the top of the draft, uh, it really is tough to create a you know a good sustainable farm system. Uh, it kind of goes back to what the St. Louis Cardinals have been doing. You know they've been drafting at the end of the first round uh, for the last you know, two decades basically, and they still have, you know, a pretty robust farm system. doesn't necessarily have the top end talent uh, that some of the other systems do, but they're still able to, you know, crank out, you know, prospects left and right and just kind of keep the line moving, so to speak. Um, uh, But, you know, being able to develop that talent, you know, no matter where you're drafting, uh, in that round is 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 pivotal for a team. It's not like necessarily been able to do that. I know that they've you know traded a lot of prospects away at the same time, but you know if they can develop a little bit more, I think that's going to provide a much more sustainable route to success for them. Right, because they can't just keep spending and trading and spending and trading. You know, we're, that's how we got into the situation that we're in, uh, and that does you know come into play when we do talk about things like well, should they just go ahead and spend the however many million to get someone like you on a and I think, no, stop adding these huge lengthy contracts to it. Cause it's, it's not necessarily going well, but yeah, anyway, the, with the whole thing with the Tigers way, it's, uh, uh, you know, yeah, you mentioned that the Rays had top picks for a long time because they lost and they lost and they lost and they were like dead last place for like nine years. But uh, at the same time, they weren't necessarily turning those draft picks into good talent along the way. And that's why they implemented that system. It just uh, it, it says to me that, that Al Avila does really seem to be invested in the player development side of things. And I use the, the Pittsburgh Pirates just as a kind of an anecdotal example of what can happen if you don't have that. And the guy, uh, Charlie Morton, coming up, learning how to throw a great cutter fastball, sinker fastball, you know, becomes a ground ball pitcher. And then he moves on to another uh, coaching environment and they take it away from him. And he becomes a completely different pitcher in the process because I didn't, I don't know how, how I guess, uh, common that is, that, that players would just sort of, yeah, fold to whatever the coach says, you know, but the way he, Morton described it, you know, he said, I didn't have any input. I didn't have any say in that process. They just said, throw more heat, stop throwing the, the cutter. And so he did. And it ended up, you know, kind of ruining him as a pitcher until Ray Searage got his hands on him and said, no, do the thing you do naturally. Do what you do best. And he went back to being a halfway decent pitcher. 
I mean, I know there's not like necessarily anything in the Tiger system we can point to and say, that's exactly what happened here, you know, or in this level. But at the same time, you're just not seeing necessarily a, a lot of talent coming up, getting through, hitting the majors and going, yeah, uniform development all the way through, solid player. Well, I think it, you you can point to a couple examples here. Um, you know, a guy like Jacob Turner, who the Tigers had brought up early on, uh, really kind of struggled uh, at the start of his career, I know he didn't have very many chances to prove himself in Detroit, but you wonder if you know some uh, some more consistent instruction for a guy like him may have helped him pan out a little bit more. Uh, there's a lot of what ifs in that situation, especially since he's been traded. Um, but you know some of the other guys, some of the other failed prospects they've had in the past, even guys that were traded and then didn't necessarily perform very well. Uh, you wonder kind of what a more consistent approach to the farm system would have would have meant for them and where the tigers would be if they had had something like this sooner yeah and i guess it really kind of makes me a little bit excited just because having watched say the whitecaps last year and knowing what's down there at the very lowest levels of the minor leagues you know you got guys like joe jimenez and michael gerber and uh Derek hill who's you know didn't play a lot last year but will this next year uh kristen stewart is, is another one it's exciting to me that they might actually be able to start benefiting, you know, reaping the benefits of a system like that. And maybe those guys actually have a shot of, you know, shooting through the system and coming out in Detroit and being good players. So I definitely applaud the efforts. So let's uh, make sure we get our hands on a copy of that, though. I want to break the news. That's, that's what I want. I want to come on the podcast and read segments from the Tigers way. And then <laughs> we will get in so much trouble. I just want to read it. I don't want to. I don't care about telling anyone else. I want to read it myself. Just want to read it. Just Sorry, <laughs> listeners. Screw you guys. That's right. I just need some good bedtime reading. Yeah, of course, you would say something about it. You you absolutely would have to like go write a post or something. Just either because it was good and you wanted to say something good about it, or because it was bad and you wanted to critique it. I mean, it is a good way for them to never give us any sort of perk ever again. Exactly. Can you imagine if we divulge the trade secrets? No, I it, no. Bad idea. Our credentials would get revoked like that. Immediately. And I would like to get some of these guys on the show at some point. I would love to get Jeff Jones on the show and talk to him about pitching coaches and what they do. So I guess we have to, we got to play nice. All right. Let's wrap up the high and tight segment. When we come back from the break, we'll go into the mob scene at home, answer our listener questions, and answer this question. Who's getting traded before opening day? More on that after we get back. Swing the fly ball, left field, deep, going back, Cabrera, looking up, and it's gone, a home run! James McCann with the walk-off winner! Number three, rounding third, exchanges the low ten with Dave Clark, and into the hot scene at home! And here we go, into the mob scene at home. It's that section of the show where we take some questions from our listeners uh it's been a lot of fun rob this is easily i think one of our best segments now that we've got uh, the questions coming in through uh the website of course you can reach us there on the website with those questions and also on uh, on twitter at hookslide byb or at byb rob or you can send us an email at byb tigers at gmail.com and uh we actually got an email rob how cool is that we got fan mail. That was fun. That is fun. We'll talk about that towards the end of the segment. Um, but let's get to some of these questions. Uh, Robert Tomlinson at Rob Tomlin underscore Statman on Twitter asks, Ender Inciarte, will he be too costly for the Tigers to fill left field 
or is he a good fit at all? Um, Ender Enciarte is kind of one of those guys that a lot of our readers and commenters have been high on. Um, I'm not necessarily seeing how sustainable his numbers can be. You know, this is a guy who walked a fair amount in the minor leagues, but ever since he got to the major league level, he's only walking at about a 5% clip. You know, he hit really well in 2015, but his 2014 numbers weren't quite so good. And I'm wondering if 2014 is kind of closer to what his actual production will be uh, from an offensive standpoint at at the major league level. Uh, He really struggled against left-handed pitching last year, too. Um, And so while he may be a little bit better than, you know, your Anthony Ghost or Tyler Collins, Collins, uh, you know, from an offensive standpoint, I don't know that if the the amount of, you know, prospects or whatnot that they will have to give up to the Atlanta Braves, who by all accounts are making some pretty savvy deals themselves this offseason, even if they don't necessarily make sense on the surface. Um, If you kind of look at them one-on-one, they're making some pretty good deals. Uh, I don't know if that is a great idea for the Tigers. You know, had he still been with the Diamondbacks, maybe you can kind of get what you need out of them. But now that he's, you know, kind of a cost-controlled piece in the Braves system, I think he's going to be a little bit too pricey for them. And I just don't really... i, I got to take a mulligan on it because here's the deal. I've already said that I'm not terribly excited about the idea of the Tigers signing a big-name uh, left fielder like Cespedes or Gordon. I mean, I mean, you'd love to get those guys on the team, absolutely, but I'm not excited about the idea of you know big money, long contracts. On the other hand, when we talk about some of the you know bargain bin remainders that could fill that spot, because they're bargain bin remainders, none of them really like super excite me. So I'm kind of in this weird spot where it's like, fine, just do what you want to do with left field. I will probably be okay with it. Either way, I really trust Alavila to pick the right piece for the right price. Yeah, Ender and Ciarte, maybe, who knows? Yeah, he's just, he's very reliant on, you know, a high batting average and good defense uh, to provide pretty much all of his value. Um, and, you know, we talked with Charlie Jebo last week from AZ Snake Pit. Right. You know, it seems like the Diamondbacks are okay with, you know, another guy in their system stepping up to fill that void, and they were okay with kind of just, you know, passing Ciarte along. So I'm not necessarily sure that. He's the answer, especially given what he would cost. All right. The Real Sean V at The Real Sean V asks, How viable is a Jose Iglesias for Matt Kemp deal, especially if the Padres kick in some cash? No. 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 No! God! No! God! Please, no! 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 Don't, just don't do it. Just there, don't do it. Um, you know, Matt Kemp five years ago was one of the better hitters in baseball, um, but he's been so enigmatic throughout his career. You know, one year he puts up an 842 OPS. The next year he hits under 250. The year after that, in 2011, he puts up an MVP season. Um, you know, he, and he struggled all along. Now he maybe has arthritis in his hips. You know, he really struggled with the Padres last year only. You know, his OPS plus was 111, which is okay. But when you look at his defensive numbers, which are awful um you know and the fact that he's still under contract for four more years at over 20 million a year uh you know depending on what's paid by the dodgers it's it's just not a good deal and then you have a you know an all-star shortstop in iglesias who you know he may not hit 300 next year but you're you know creating a very expense you're filling a hole in a very expensive way and maybe not even doing your maybe not even doing the best thing possible to fill that hole in the field yeah, so you're basically saying he's not that great on offense, not that great on defense, and it's going to cost a lot of money for many years. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm actually okay with not uh, paying for the Dodgers' mistake on that one. And uh, just having just read that book, uh, The Best Team Money Can Buy, uh, yeah, he, he had a ton of injury issues. He was in, and he was out, and then he's in, and then he's out, and it's very unreliable that way, and it seemed like he was even a bit of a clubhouse problem at some points. And yeah, I'm about halfway through that book, and it's not exactly painting him in the nicest light so far. He was the one, well, they had so many of them. I can't remember if he was the actually the one, but I think he was the one who kind of pitched a fit when they uh, wanted somebody else to take over his spot in left field, and then, you know, he became essentially a fourth outfielder, and he didn't take kindly to that at all like he didn't handle that as well as ethier did but right. i think both of them were a little moody about it so no let's not do that uh dean padre simmer at mojo dean says on a limited budget i.e no cespedes gordon deal what one final free agent signing would you make for 2016 i've talked about a guy named you know steve pierce in the last couple of podcasts uh but i want to go a little bit different dire- direction with this um kind of a real bargain bin guy that they could add is Dominic Brown, an outfielder that played for the Phillies last year. Uh, they released him. Um, he's kind of struggled at times throughout his career, but has been, you know, he was a top prospect back in the day. He had, you know, kind of a breakout season in 2013 where he hit 20 home runs in the span of like a month um, and made an all-star team. And then, you know, really kind of fell back to earth after that. Uh, you, you know, you look at Brown and then you also look at what the Tigers did or, you know, maybe he had already done this before and you look at J.D. Martinez and you kind of wonder if, you know, maybe, just maybe they can get that same kind of, you know, magic production out of Brown. Um, you know, he's really kind of a a nice little buy low candidate. Uh, you know, you could probably get him, you know, maybe on a cheap deal, maybe even a minor league deal if you, you know, if you play your cards right. Uh, I think there's just a lot of potential there. And uh, that would be nice to see them add that if you can kind of treat him like, like the flyer that he is. And whereas I'm not necessarily, you know, I, not wanting them to spend more money, I know they're already kind of bumped up and over that luxury tax uh, threshold. Um, even on the limited budget, I'm not sure that there's a free agent that I would say, yeah, spend more money, get further over that threshold, and not necessarily, if, uh, to put it this way, if you're going to do it, then I guess go big and get Cespedes. Um, but just to kind of play along with the question, I'm going to say, uh, what's Dexter Fowler going to get? 10, 12 million? Yeah, underneath what the you know the big guys are going to get, but he's still going to get a fair amount of money. I'm not sure if that qualifies to, you know, as a limited budget move or not, but I've always, you know been kind of interested in what what he might bring to the table. But like I said, as far as the outfield goes, man, I could take it or leave it at this point. Whatever Avila wants to do, I'll, I'll be happy. I think with with whatever he decides. Uh, the color is you have asks. Assuming our roster is set, there are no more additions this off season. Who bats first and second in the lineup? Oh, goody lineup questions. I love these. Is there any possibility that they do something that differs from the old baseball wisdom and bat Miggy second? I don't think that the Tigers would go for, you know, batting Miggy second. Um, you know, kind of the current sabermetric thought is that you bat your best hitter second uh, and kind of your biggest power threat fourth. Um, but at the same time, I think that the studies have still shown that, you know, the three and four spots get the most RBI opportunities. Um, and, you know, it is kind of more of an old school mentality. But I think I would still rather see the Tigers go, you know, have Cabrera in that hole, in that three spot, and then, you know, have a couple of decent on-base guys in front of him. Uh, the problem is they don't necessarily have two 
good on-base guys. You know, you have Ian Kinsler, who I imagine will be in one of those two spots. Uh, but it's probably going to end up being, you know, at this point, it seems like it's kind of a mismatch of Anthony Ghost, maybe Cameron Mabin, maybe Jose Iglesias at the top of that lineup right now. Right, because you don't have the obvious, you know, selection in Alex Avila, who did have a nice high on-base percentage to put in one of those spots. Uh, you know, and as far as the old baseball wisdom and batting uh, Miggy second versus third, it's funny because the old baseball wisdom, like the old, old baseball wisdom that I remember growing up, uh, was to bat somebody like Miggy cleanup. And I think if he'd been playing in the 70s or 80s, he probably would have been batting in that cleanup spot. So even to Well, have he him, batted cleanup for a while for the Tigers, too. That it does not surprise me. That's right. I forgot about that. Good Lord, it's been a long time. And we were all whining. We're like, why isn't he batting third? That was the remember. Remember how long we had to deal with that? It's we just want to keep moving him up until he's batting first, and then also third and fifth. And if we can get him into the lineup more than once, all the better. I'm completely happy with him third for the reasons that you just mentioned, the RBI opportunities and so forth. I'm not sure that batting him second. I know it's supposedly the saber wisdom, but I'm going to question the nerds on that one and say, yeah. I don't think I'm quite ready to buy that one yet. But yeah, you, you mentioned the problem. There's just not really, you know, the high on base guy. I, I I don't want to see Ghost leading off. I don't want to see Maven leading off. I would start with Iglesias and see if he can replicate any of that uh, hitting and on base success starting in 2016. So yeah, I, I would prefer to go Iglesias, Kinsler, Cabrera, and that would be my... I wouldn't mind seeing Ghost, you know, lead off against righties like he did last year. You know, he had some decent numbers against right-handers. It was really just his pitiful numbers against lefties that really kind of tanked his value. Hmm. Well, it's it's not going to be a, a bombing, you know, home run hitting juggernaut like we saw in 2013 and uh, you know surrounding years. So, you know, adjust your uh, adjust your expectations accordingly. I guess put Ghost up front, put Iglesias, put maybe I don't. I don't care. As long as the guys in the middle are still the guys in the middle and they're hitting well, that's what matters. Uh, Tim Baba Mout. Tim Baba Mout. Tim Baba Mute, I think. A Mute. What's a Mute? Well, there's a. Is there a reference that I'm missing? There's a basketball player named something, something, Mbaba Mute. I don't follow basketball. I don't know his his first name. Uh, Anyway, the, the question is which position player from the projected starting lineup is the most likely to be traded by opening day. I don't necessarily know that anyone is very likely to be traded, but if we have to pick one, I'd say kind of either one of the two guys that are most redundant, I guess, on the roster, and that would be either Anthony Ghost or Cameron Mabin. And given Ghost's contract status, I would say that Ghost is probably the most likely to be traded, even though I think we're talking very low likelihood here. Um, You know, maybe someone kind of purges for that, you know, cost-controlled young center fielder, and maybe they still kind of see some of Ghost's upside. You know, he showed flashes of power last year, and he showed flashes of base-dealing, you know, capabilities. Um, so if you can get something out of that, the question is what exactly would they get for a guy like Ghost? I mean, you, <laughs> the easy answer is another outfielder. But then, you know, what's the point of that? <laughs> because, yeah, I don't know how often position-for-position uh, position swaps go down, but right, because if you do that, then you've got a, now a hole in the outfield that you have to fill. I was kind of going the same route as, as you, and just thinking more in terms of who's coming up the pipeline in the next, you know, little bit, but there's nobody really ready to kind of step into the outfield spot. Uh, I don't see them uh, getting rid of, you know, a Kinsler, an Iglesias, a Castellanos, or anything like that. It would have to be... 
a ghost or a maven uh although the question did say projected starting lineup i would i would also put tyler collins on that list you know as someone that could probably go um but then who do you who do you fill the spot with so i'm gonna repeat what you said i don't really see any of those guys getting traded uh maven maven's my answer put it down on the list and if i get that right then i win the free agent prediction contest by default all right because it's never gonna happen oh i'm so bad at this oh well uh jacob elkram says if you were alavila and the rockies offered you Corey dickerson from michael fulmer bruce rondone and Kristen stewart or jacoby jones would you do it I'm still not necessarily sold on Dickerson being, you know, this big time bat. Um, you know, he's got some great numbers. He had a 931 OPS in 2014. Uh, didn't play as much in 2015, but still had an 869 OPS. Uh, the problem is he plays for the Rockies, and we've seen kind of what exactly those, you know, what exactly happens with those numbers in Coors Field. Um, his splits are, you know, fairly extreme as far as home road splits go, but there have also been studies that show that, you know, those kind of even out once guys get away from altitude. It seems more like the Rockies hitters struggle when they get to sea level and they're playing elsewhere, more so than, you know, Coors Field being this amazing place for them to, you know, pad their stats. Um I guess the thing that I'm looking at with Dickerson is that he's more of a platoon bat. You know, he's a career 246 hitter against lefties. He has a 677 OPS against lefties in his career, um, but has some amazing numbers against right-handers. And I don't know if that I would want to give you know all those prospects away for what basically amounts to the second coming of Andre Ethier without the bad contract. Yeah, I'm more looking at the the package that is proposed to be given up in that, in that trade and going, really? No. Fulmer, Rondone, Stewart, and Jones. That's a lot of potential talent right there that I would like to see develop. And so for the, you know, the trade off of getting Corey Dickerson, no, I, I, I would have to be on such a wild bender for that to ever make sense in my head. I can't, I can't see that happening or making sense to me at least. All right. One last question. And this comes from our fan that likes email. How cool is this? Somebody actually sent us an email, uh, Pat Cannon, and it was it was such a cool email too. Because aside from the you know friendly things of you know enjoying the podcast, et cetera, et cetera, he likes the fact that we talk about bacon and made a recommendation. And I'm just going to throw this out there for the other listeners. Uh, Pat recommends that you go to the hotel dining room at the Landmark Inn in Marquette because they have the best bacon ever. Now, me personally, never been to Marquette, so I I have can't confirm or deny this however he goes on to say that the way that they make their bacon there is they use hormel bacon and bake it in an oven that much i will confirm get the hormel black label bacon you put it out on a 9 by 13 sheet you bake it for 10 minutes at 350 you flip it bake it for another 10 minutes at 350 and you have like melt in your mouth bacon i would i would eat pounds of that stuff so thumbs up to to pat for that note Hang on. There's there's one more thing. It's the way he signed this off. I love this. A Tigers fan for 60 years and charter member of STUD. That's all caps. STUD. Sports trivia enthusiasts who enjoy drinking. Our local baseball trivia group. Whoa. Okay. I this I have to get in on this. Pat, if you're listening, I know you're like not terribly far from where I live, so you got to drop me a note. I want to find out more about this sports trivia enthusiast who enjoy drinking baseball trivia group because I am all over that immediately. Please 
call me. I need something to do this winter. The question, finally. I recall that about three years ago, the Tigers signed an outfielder as one of their first draft choices named Derek Hill, and I've never heard of him since, even though he was touted as the can't-miss center fielder of the future. What do you know about him? Derek Hill missed a lot of injury, um, missed a lot of time due to injury last year. Um, you know, he, uh, I think, had some sort of kind of lingering quad issue that, you know, he would play for a little bit and then re-aggravate it and then play for a little bit. And I think he aggravated it a little bit more. Um, he's still a guy that the Tigers are really kind of uh, banking on towards the future. Um, but, you know, being a, a pick out of high school and kind of a raw one at that uh, just last year, uh, there's still going to be a lot of time before he gets to the major leagues. And that's kind of one of the risks that you take when you draft a high school player is that, you know, maybe these guys flame out and you never hear from them again. Um, but they're, you know, kind of these guys that you, you know, just kind of put put away, put on the shelf for, you know, four or five years, and then hopefully they make it to the major leagues after that. Yep, that's, that's I mean, that's basically what it comes down to. Derek Hill played, you know, for maybe all of 45 minutes this season, it felt like, anyway, because he was injured so frequently i never really got a chance to settle in and watch him you know do his thing uh from what i did see i can tell you he's adequate maybe a little above average defensively i didn't see anything great out of the throwing arm necessarily but again didn't get a lot of time to actually see him uh from the offensive side or you know from that side of the ball he is so fast that guy can fly down the line i it's it's incredible i wish i had the number in front of me it was like a 3.3 or four seconds he he moves well the thing he doesn't do well right now is hit and that's that's a problem very uh very slappy kind of infield singles kind of hitter um very hacky and swinging at stuff that he shouldn't be swinging at but then again you know he just got out of high school so give him time to develop and really it's going to be a question mark for next year for 2016 to see if um you know he can make some improvements with the white caps because i assume that's exactly where he's going to start uh, if he can stay healthy, you know, for the whole year. All right, so that will wrap it up for our end of the mob scene at home segment. When we come back from the break, we will finish the show with a seventh inning kvetch. Uh, Tanya Bundurand will be stopping by from pinstripealley.com, and she'll be helping us answer the question: What do Yankees fans think of the Justin Wilson trade? Find out when we get back from the break. Three now. Here's the two-two. Oh boy! Curveball grabbed the outside corner, Victor. Not happy. Pitch that he felt went around the plate. You rarely see Victor complain. Brad Osmus better get out there quickly. Oh, ah. And Victor got tossed. Wow. And welcome back to the final segment of the show. We are into the seventh inning Kvetch. And we are joined for this segment by Tanya Bondurant, managing editor at pinstripealley.com. That's SB Nation's New York Yankees site. Tanya, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I think we're going to have some fun here, but I'm going to start off, I mean, just right out of the gate with, with insults. So <laughs> I wanted to know because I, I've, I've done some traveling in my time. I've met like Oakland A's fans. I've met uh, Toronto Blue Jays fans. I've met Boston Red Sox fans. This is the first time that I've actually talked to a, an actual New York Yankees fan. And, you know, there's this kind of uh, you know, the, the mythology surrounding the Yankees. They're the evil empire and this kind of thing. So I had to ask, what is it like to root for the bad guys? I think you just sort of have to embrace it at some point. <laughs> okay. You know, you kind of deal with the whole, you know, everyone hates us and that's okay. But they're not the bad guys to you, obviously. Right. 
tell me a little bit about how that fandom started. I, I'm assuming this has been kind of a long-standing thing. Well, I was born as the first child, and I think my dad wanted a boy. <laughs> so he started taking me to minor league baseball games. And at that time, the Yankees affiliate was the one that was closest to our house. And um, a couple guys came through there, Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, those they were okay. types. They were, they were pretty good. Um, the hype sort of started there, and I followed them all the way up to New York. And by about six or seven, I was, you know, watching every game on TV with my dad. And by probably 11 or 12, when I was finally able to understand it more, I was totally hooked. Wow. So there it is. That's that's how you end up a Yankees fan for better, for worse, and just embrace the hatred, I guess, is what you're saying. Pretty much. Okay. I can get on board with that. I I have no like connection to what that's like because I don't know that the Tigers are really like a you know, down on anybody's list. I, I would imagine you've got some company in, say, like the St. Louis Cardinals fans, because it's getting to the point where nobody oh, likes them no, anymore. No, no, no. Oh, oh. oh <laughs> here it comes. And that's strike three. Yep, yep, <laughs> strike three. Yeah, I, I'm one of the best hosts in the podcast sphere. I tell you, just yeah. So no, she, she, you want to uh, distance yourself from the Cardinals fans then? Yeah, no, <laughs> those guys are terrible. <laughs> All right. I'm not going to argue with that. It was a little harsh. Yeah, coming from a Yankees fan, right? (laughs) But there it is. Okay. Uh, We wanted to ask you some questions about the Yankees, about uh, obviously and especially the the Justin Wilson trade. But I think we'll start out, um, you know, kind of more generically, generally speaking, kind of get us up to speed on the state of the Yankees from from a fan's perspective. Uh, You know, they made that run to the postseason in 2015. I mean, they at least got to the wild card spot, which is more than what 20 other MLB teams can say. Uh, We can say it's more than we can say. We we did our time in the basement this year. So where do you see the Yankees right now? And, uh, you know, what can they make a run at that division title in 2016? I think... The Yankees are kind of in a weird position right now because basically it is well known that the team is waiting for big contracts to expire. Hmm. Um, Mark Teixeira comes off the books after this next year. Carlos Beltran comes off the books. Um, CC Sabathia has two seasons left, um, which will free up some payroll. Um, The Steinbrenners are not like their father in that they think that you can win without the most expensive payroll in baseball, and they seem very dedicated to doing so. The farm has actually started to produce some pretty intriguing names, uh, which is not something that they could say two years ago even. So it feels like they're a little bit caught in the middle right now. They're not going to be bad, but I don't see them winning a World Series or anything. Hmm. Um, A lot of their success last season came from, you know, totally resurgent seasons from A-Rod and Teixeira. I don't know that it would be smart to bet on that again. (laughs) Right. Right. Betting on resurgence is not, uh, not always a safe thing to do. Yeah. 
but can they at least get to get, look? Here's here's the thing. This this is my level of investment right now. It's it's the fact that Dave Dombrowski went to the Boston Red Sox. Mm-hmm. So the one thing that I'm concerned about, because I got this whole like you know validation need you know already going, just to prove that that Al Avila and the Tigers are better than Dave Dombrowski and the Tigers, can the Yankees at least topple Dave Dombrowski in the Red Sox? I certainly hope so. I mean, I think that people are kind of falling into a similar trap with the Red Sox that they fell into before, where it was like on paper this is a great team, but. On paper is not necessarily how it works out, and crowning them the you know World Series champs in January hasn't worked out well in the past. So I would need to see, you know, David Price obviously makes them better, but that team is a lot more than one really good starting pitcher away from not being kind of shaky. Right, one starting pitcher and a couple of really decent bullpen pieces, but it may yeah. not be enough. But you just kind of wonder then, you know, what you were just saying about the Yankees and they're kind of in this transition period. You know, is that going to be kind of a fight for second place or do you see one of these teams kind of winning out for first place? And Or is it the Blue Jays that you're really looking to? I mean, the Blue Jays have a great offense, obviously, but they did nothing with their starting pitching. Um, they lost David Price. That's not going to help. So... I feel like, once again, the ALEs is kind of in a state of mediocrity, um, and whichever team manages to be the least mediocre will win. <laughs> the battle of who sucks less is what we're yeah, getting at. Okay. pretty much. Oh, boy. Yeah, okay. Uh, and I know Rob had some questions for you, too, about uh, what were we going to ask her, Rob, about the, the winter meetings and some off-season moves. Well, yeah, I just kind of want to know, I mean, the Yankees have been pretty quiet so far this offseason. You had mentioned that they're waiting for some money to come off the books. Uh, I guess first, um, what do you want to see from the Yankees this offseason? Do you think they need to go out and kind of pay for one of the free agents on the market, especially given you know the lack of quality names on next year's market? Or would you rather see them just kind of stand pat and go into the season with what they have? I think at this point, I'm okay with them sort of staying where they are just because the biggest names have already signed. Um, I was hoping that they would sign a David Price or a Zach Grinke, but now that those names are gone, there's really no one that I think they should really pursue. And Cashman said at the winter meetings, if it was expensive and old, he wasn't interested. So if there is... Another addition to be made, I have a feeling it will be trading maybe Brett Gardner, whose name has flown around a lot this offseason, or someone like that for a young starting pitcher, which is probably their greatest place of need right now. Well, I mean, okay. we could use a Brett Gardner, right? Or some other outfielder, yeah. <laughs> right. I think we. I don't know if we have any young starting pitchers left to hand out, though. So I think that's uh, actually it's not a bad little segue into what we wanted to talk about more specifically, having to do with the Yankees and the Tigers as now trade partners. Uh, it was last week. Golly, it was probably hours after we recorded last week's podcast, I think. Al Avila is doing a great job of making sure that we have stuff to talk about week after week after week. And uh, so the news came through that Justin Wilson had been traded from the Yankees to the Tigers in exchange for a couple of pitching prospects in Chad Green and uh, it was uh, Sessa, wasn't it? Yeah, Luis Sessa. Okay. 
let's let's get right down into it then. Uh, how how do the Yankee fans, you in particular, Tanya, but you, what are you getting from the sense of the, the larger fan base? How do you feel about that trade? I think most people were surprised um, just because Wilson was one of the more dependable relievers last season. And I think that trading him wasn't necessarily seen as a negative, but people were a little underwhelmed with the return. Um, they thought that probably could have gotten more for a guy who had, had a pretty solid season and is only making $1.5 million. Hmm. But if it's one place that the Yankees are sort of good, it's making relievers who are somehow really good out of not much. Um, you know, Dylan Batansis was, by all indication, a failed prospect. And he was almost, he was out of options, and um, we all kind of joked that, you know, oh, they're going to move him to the bullpen. Great. <laughs> um, and now he's, you know, one of the best relievers in baseball. Right. So I'm not too worried about the bullpen. I think the bullpen's probably the last thing that needs fretting over. Um, but I think that people were a little disappointed that, you know, two guys who aren't ranked super highly was all that Cashman could get for him. <laughs> that's, that's what we do here in Tigerville. We, uh, we put out prospects that just aren't highly ranked. So <laughs> apologize for leaving our garage sale scraps on your front door like that. But uh, thanks for Justin Wilson, because he looks like a pretty decent pickup. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit, maybe a little about that um, specifically and what you see out of Justin Wilson over the last couple years and what we can expect out of him but let's kind of dig a little bit further into this um do you see the Yankees picking up you know these prospects in Chad Green and Luis Sessa as you know they're they're hoping to get two potential starting pitchers out, out of the deal or they're hoping to maybe just turn these guys into relievers I think right now they want to keep them as starters um Cashman said that he wanted to put some distance between Brian Mitchell, who is probably the team's sort of sixth, seventh starter at this point, um, and Rookie Davis, who is a prospect that was just in Double A. Um, the the field between those is pretty empty, so Cashman said that he was hoping that Green and Sessa could sort of be a buffer between Double A and a guy who's probably going to be like a swingman out of triple-A. Um, I don't know how long that's going to last because it seems like a lot, a lot of people don't really see it panning out as a starting pitcher for those guys. But I think right now they're just hoping that in case the worst happens and Tanaka needs Tommy John surgery and Pineda breaks again and CC's mm. knee is not able to hold him up anymore, <laughs> that there's something there that they can sort of plug in i mean cc should be fine right degenerative knee condition okay well, scary I mean, words he's he's younger than bartolo Colon, though isn't he yes but last year he was terrible and he he got a new knee brace that he said um kept the pain away when he sort of landed um but again they have tossed around all kinds of like if he needs this surgery his career is probably over and all that sort of thing, and the knees are just going to get worse, and it's it's a pretty uh 
tricky situation. That sounds dire. You, you really need one of these two prospects to kind of pull through for you, I think. <laughs> And yeah. that's the interesting thing to me is that, I mean, I would imagine that the Yankees were looking for a couple of starters where they picked up Chad Green and Luis Sessa. But from what I understand of now, I saw Chad Green, you know, pitch for the West Michigan Whitecaps because I'm from West Michigan. So I get a lot of you know chances to see that that team play. And he, I remember him pitching in 2014 and uh, he didn't strike me as the kind of pitcher that was really necessarily destined for a starting rotation or if he is it's you know definitely going to be the maybe the back end of that rotation but you know as far as Luis Sessa I think the, the Tigers were eyeing him as you know a potential starter but yeah I guess when it comes to Chad Green I'm thinking you you got a reliever there yeah and I think that they probably know that and just want to you know keep the dream alive as long as possible but again they they are kind of magic when it comes to relief pitching so if that is ultimately the end result he will probably defy expectations and be better for absolutely no reason <laughs> great rob she's telling us that we just basically gave them the next Dylan Batances. i mean it, you know he was in our organization so he's probably a little bit cursed by now i don't know if he got high enough to actually be affected by the tigers bullpen curse but uh but we'll see yeah, he doesn't have it dripping from the clothes, but the stench is definitely on him. So it'll take a little bit of the New York City air to kind of clean that, air that out a little bit. I'm sure they can do something with it. Uh, moving on to the to the other half of that trade, the Justin Wilson piece of that. I know Rob's got quite a few questions for you about Justin Wilson, too. Well, yeah, I just kind of want to know what we can expect from Wilson. I know you guys only had one year of him after getting him from the Pirates after the 2014 season, uh, but it seemed like he pitched very well. For the Yankees, it was kind of almost their, you know, their third reliever at times there. Uh, I know Adam Warren and others were in the mix too. Uh, but I guess, I guess, what was your comfort level when when Justin Wilson came to the game? That's probably the best way to for uh, for us to describe it for Tigers fans. I feel kind of bad because I was certainly less comfortable with Justin Wilson than some people. I didn't trust him as much as some other people. I mean, he got. There was this one game where he got pulled with two outs and two strikes on a batter. Ooh. And uh, it was a little uncomfortable for everyone because it was just like, oh, this is this is weird. This is bad. But overall, I mean, he was fine. Um, he didn't provide the sort of comfort that Dylan does or Andrew Miller. But, yeah, he was fine. That, that does not sound at all encouraging. See, but we're coming out of this from like way different perspectives. You know, they've got yeah. Andrew Miller and Dylan Batances at the back of their bullpen. And look what we had last year. So we get a guy like Wilson. We're like, oh, he has great numbers. He right. throws 95 from the left side and he can command it. You know, we're super excited about this. And she's like, eh, I don't know about this guy. Yeah. So one of their cast offs is one of, one of our bullpen aces because last year we had Tom Gorzolani, Natali Feliz, and a broken pitching machine with squeaky wheels that we would literally just kind of wheel out in about the seventh. <laughs> Jeff Jones would make a trip to the mound with a little oil can and, you know, you know, it was it was awful. And he was our best reliever. Exactly. The pitching machine. They would just drape a jersey over the back and let it you know, do its thing. Uh, OK, but that raised the question in my head as you were talking about this odd two out two strike situation. How did uh, Joe Girardi tend to use Justin Wilson? Did he did he let him go out there and do, you know, more than an inning or was he used more of kind of, a you know, the lefty specialist type? He usually pitched an inning, not ne not necessarily just like lefty only take him out one out 
goodbye. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and, and he's one of those, I guess, loogie type guys who isn't like complete trash against the other side. <laughs> That's um, another ringing endorsement there. <laughs> well, well, actually, it is because like we we ha- we lived through Boone Logan, who ah. give that man a lefty and he's fine. Give him anything else and disaster. Just just light it all on fire. <laughs> um, so Wilson is, you know, he can definitely get out both sides and do fine. His thing was kind of like he'd have one like super spectacular, amazing month where he was just unhittable, and then he would have one month where it was like, okay, what? Nothing's working. Um, and I think that was sort of where the frustration and my sort of lack of trust came in because um, he had an ERA over six in May and then an ERA under two for June and July and then back up over five in August. So it was just like when he was good, he was really good. And then when he was bad, it was really bad. Hmm. So... Sounds like another Yankee pitcher that came over to Detroit thinking of Java Chamberlain. <gasps> no, no, don't, don't do that to us. Don't do that. Yeah. <sighs> when he was good, wow, he was, yeah, he was really, really good. And then when he was bad, then he was uh, used way too often is really how we'll say that nicely. Uh, that seems familiar. Yeah. Wait, now, wait a minute. How? How familiar? What are you talking about? Too familiar. <laughs> Once. Jabba, Jabba is capable of getting out of these situations. Oh, really? Is he? No. Well, he did it in the past. Well, that's not now. Um, this is starting to swirl the toilet bowl a little bit here. I'm getting a little depressed with the whole, <laughs> the whole thing. Rob, did you have any more questions about Justin Wilson? Quickly, get us back into happier territory. Well, everything we've heard about Justin Wilson is making me a little, little iffy here. But at the same time, I'm just kind of, you know, I'm just clinging to the fact that our bullpen was so bad last year that a guy that can, you know, strike out multiple batters in an inning and throw hard without hitting the backstop or anything like that, I'm just still hopeful that this is gonna, this is gonna work out uh, for the Tigers next year. He had our top defensive play of the year. If that makes you feel better. Yeah, I'll take that. Maybe. That works. I guess, yeah. He, he did this weird, like, divey thing and caught the ball and flipped it up off the ground. And it was impressive for a guy who's not really that athletic looking. He doesn't look very athletic. Yeah, he, he's, he's not. <laughs> so with, with all of this, I mean, for, first you say, you know, Tanya, you say, yeah, he was okay. And then there was this, you know, he was a total disaster. <laughs> Are you sorry to see him go? No. <laughs> um, well, hell. Okay. <laughs> I mean, okay, you have to understand, like I said, that I'm kind of lower on Justin Wilson than some. So I might just be looking at it from, you know, hater glasses or whatever. <laughs> but um, the Yankees have Jacob Lindgren, who uh, flew through the minors and... Um, I have a lot of hope for him as the next great question mark um, lefty pitcher out of the bullpen. His nickname is the Strikeout Factory. Come on, yeah. how can you not be happy about that? Yeah. So, I 
if he turns out to be, you know, half or 75% of what I think he can be, then I don't think that we will miss Justin Wilson too badly. But again, relievers for the Yankees sort of grow on trees. And while Wilson was absolutely fine, and if he was on the team, like, would be absolutely fine, I, I don't think I will spend too many nights missing him. Well, there you go. One man's <laughs> trash is another man's treasure or something along those lines. And, uh, yeah, th- there you have it, Tigers fans listening to this podcast. Merry Christmas. Uh, they're not even sorry to see Justin Wilson go. They're and, not uh, going to like me. They're going to be mad. you <laughs> be like, we, we he's already, amazing. We already don't like the Yankees. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which is nothing against you, personally. This is this has been a good conversation, even if it's a little bit of a <sighs> Merry Christmas, I guess. I don't know. I feel like uh, I just rained on the parade, like, <laughs> torrentially. It's it's all right. We're... We got a reliever. Well, Yay! But Rob's right. The, the the situation in the Tigers' bullpen has been just so, just incomprehensibly atrocious that, you know, if Justin Wilson is, like you said, if, if he can at least uh, hit the strike zone from time to time, he's, he's already an improvement over what we had uh, back there. In so, that case, he's great. That he's going to be awesome. Wonderful. And he makes athletic plays, and he pitches left-handed, which is already very, very valuable. Yeah. <laughs> any we more, talked any, ourselves back into it. Any more highlights there, Rob? Help. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all out of ideas now. <laughs> <laughs> this is the place where pessimism or optimism goes to die. Uh, one last question before we let you go, Tanya. Uh, just in terms of going back to the Yankees a little bit. Um, now the winter meetings are, are over. Uh, you know the off season kind of slows down a little bit there tends to be you know sometimes one more move made before the season starts do you see them making any kind of a big splashy free agent signing before spring training kicks off no (laughs) i think if there's a move left to be made it will be trading brett gardner not a free agent signing i think that they are holding on to the checkbook this year hmm well, I mean, like I said earlier, we we could always use a Brett Gardner. We've got plenty of these uh, young pitching <laughs> prospects. There's some, I guess, that Al Avila is absolutely holding on to and will not let go. But, you know, if you need another Chad Green who projects to maybe be a fifth starter but is probably really going to be a bullpen guy, hey. <laughs> We've got lots of those. We've got a ton of those. We have so many. How are you enjoying our, uh, our, our former prospect, Andrew Miller, by the way? Well, I'm person so i have loved andrew miller for a long time um so i'm a big fan i'm happy to have him he's amazing can we have him back no okay <laughs> well you gotta check you you gotta check these things out it's, you know because we're in contact with al Avila all the time so you know we're doing our due diligence here um yeah all right well tanya i want to thank you for stopping by uh, this is uh been a lot of fun even though if you're raining on our you know parade (laughs) maybe next time we'll have a i don't know but no seriously very very cool to hear the kind of the insider yankees fan perspective on all of this and uh uh why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you outside of say pinstripealley.com i'm on twitter at tanya bondurant that's b-o-n-d-u-r-a-n-t if you want to look her up yes and I thought I saw you were doing some writing outside of just uh, Pinstripe Alley. No. No? I thought no. I could have sworn I saw you on, like, the SBN MLB site or something. I've written a couple articles for there, but 
nothing regular. Okay. Just All a, right. Well, yes, thank you. There it is, then. If you want to find Tanya online, it's pinstripealley.com or on Twitter at Tanya Bondurant. And uh, thanks for stopping by. Thank you for having me. We'll talk again. Okay, thanks. See ya. All right, that is going to do it for this, our final episode of The Voice of the Turtle for the 2015 season. Rob, what's the last word? I just want to say thank you to everyone who has listened to the podcast, uh, sent us any fan mail, uh, provided any questions for us over the last year, or has uh, you know just read the site. Uh, we're very you know very happy to do this for everyone, and we really do it for you. Um, so we're thankful for you know all the feedback and all the love, all the questions, even even some of the haters. We're we we're we enjoy you too a little bit, um, <laughs> but yeah. So no real sounding off no no anger just thank you to everyone for for everything yeah and i will i will second that uh i've said it before that you know if if it weren't for the fact that we had listeners tuning in on a weekly basis and actually listening to this uh this would be an extremely sad arrangement for both of us just sort of sitting and talking in front of a laptop for several hours a week (laughs) so and it, it it never ceases to you know kind of amaze me that people actually do want to tune in and listen to a couple of chuckleheads like us talk about what we think we know about the Tigers and baseball and all that kind of stuff, even though we've been right occasionally. But yeah, it's it's uh, definitely a pleasure. What do, you mean, wait, what do you mean we've been right? We've been wrong about everything. Well, occasionally we get a couple things. I'm thinking more of like during the actual baseball season as things are unfolding and we have things to say about, you know true is justin verlander all washed up you know we're we, we can be right once in a while it's just the off yeah. season that we're just yeah bad we have no idea what's going on in the it's off season. so bad i don't know why anyone listens to it. well there you go and yes we definitely appreciate it and looking forward to continuing this uh once we come back in the new year and we will i think where uh, many other sites have dropped off and taken the winter off uh we're going to we're going to soldier on and come back in January swinging, swinging for the fences, in fact. All right. Remember, we are only one half of this conversation. You are the other half, so leave us your comments at the website at blessyouboys.com. Find us on Twitter at hookslidebyb and bybrob, or send us an email at bybtigers at gmail.com. So, on behalf of Rob Jackie and eggnog lovers everywhere... This is Hookslide wishing you the hap hap happiest holiday since Bing Crosby danced with Danny F- K. An even happier new year, and we'll see you next time on The Voice of the Turtle. <laughs>